As we move toward communion, as the finale of the end of our service this morning, we need to hear and want to hear from the word of the Lord. And as we've been doing now for now five months, going through a particular psalm, a collection of words in Scripture that are hard to do a series through, 150 weeks in length, but the psalms have been the church's worship manual since its beginning and have much to teach us. And, and I find it beneficial that this psalm is looked at this morning, not only on a rainy day instead of a sunny day, but on the anniversary of 9-11. Over 20 years ago, that event struck our nation and has impacted us and really the world ever since. This psalmist prays to the Lord and asks God to meet him in his brokenness. That, that phrase in verse 1, consider my groaning, is not something we think a lot about in at least the broader tradition of American evangelicalism. I think this tradition has been tempted to promote, even if not a pure prosperity gospel, something leaning that way, where sin gets a little bit minimized and suffering kind of covered over, and God becomes a cosmic butler and divine therapist for our marriages and our children and family and for our money. Yet in reality, we are in a broken world. Even as Casey just prayed minutes ago for brothers or sisters in our body or some who cannot even gather with us because their bodies are broken, their lives are difficult, and those are the prayer requests that were willingly put forward. Imagine if we were going around the room and you could honestly say where you are sitting today. If you could be open with your brokenness in a broken world with broken people around you. See, the work of Christ is happening in the life of the Christian. The Spirit is doing His work to give us a joy and a peace. But this is not yet the new creation. This is not it. Just think of this question that I ask. How many of you know someone who is hurting, hurting bad? How many of you know someone who is plagued by pain and illness in their bodies? How many of you know someone who's dealing with anxiety or depression? How many of you know someone or some people who are dealing with broken relationships? Now, how many of those people are not just people you know, but that's you and me? Does the Bible address these sufferings? Or does it whitewash them? Like maybe most of our conversations when we meet in the lobby before or afterwards or grabbing a donut. Yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. How about you? When in reality, if you were completely honest and felt complete freedom, what would you have said? The Bible addresses these things by the grace of God. You have it in your notes, but listen or read along with me as I read them out loud, the words of Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. 
Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. That is a prayer of a suffering saint who begs God, who knows God, but begs God to respond to his or our particular suffering. Let me highlight three things that this text teaches us this morning. The first, and this is so significant for us to hear, God is present with us in our dark moments. The psalmist depicts a person who wakes in the morning with suffering. They experience brokenness, they experience loneliness, they experience conflict, they are lost. Those opening words in the original Hebrew are actually meant to have the, a repetition of guttural sounds. Like even the words chosen are said in such a way that it feels harsh and rough. And the psalmist rightly prays and asks God to be God. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. That's the prayer of lament. And it's not that the psalmist is doubting that God can hear. It's actually knowing he does hear, he feels comfortable to say these words because God hears his saints. He loves his children. And the affirmation, my king and my God, makes that clear. It means that both parties are committed to one another. The prayer is acknowledging that God is king. But it also acknowledges that that kingship is established over us. Even verse 3, notice how it goes from asking God to hear to confidence in his listening. Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. That, that's language of the person waiting on God. Like they're praying out and saying, I know you hear my voice. I will trust you. We, we often talk about learning, being catechized, having a good theology, all good and all true. But ultimately for the Christian, theology is something that is lived. This person is living theology. 
the truth of God's word, expressing it out in the moments of in a moment of grief and suffering. And in that moment, the psalmist wants us to hear that God is present with us in our dark moments. Later on, the psalmist makes clear that God is a champion for what is right and what is just. God's commitment to us means he will indeed respond to the evil and the evildoers. Verses 4 to 6 and 9 to 10 flesh this out. You will destroy those who speak lies. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. And the psalmist is praying for God to work. And and a, a conundrum we all face is, how long, O Lord? That's the prayer many Christians have prayed. How long will you let us feel this burden, experience this brokenness, deal with these anxieties and depressions and health crises and relational situations? How long, O Lord? We know that God will defeat evil and crush every evildoer. He will bring forth true justice, but in his good and perfect timing. And that is hard for us. We want it now. But God is not our butler. He is, as verse 2 says, our king. And scripture teaches us Two things that I think we need to hold to, even in the not yet. Remember those categories of already but not yet? Already Christ has died for us, as we're going to ultimately celebrate at the end of our service. He's given us new life in him. We have his spirit. He's guaranteed that the end will work out to perfection, but it's not yet. Because cancer still sits in our gathering today. And people are hurting and broken. And they're dealing with brokenness tomorrow morning. And the world has fallen, and there's evil people, and there's war, and there's famine, and there's destruction. And we know there's an already, but where or when will the not yet be no more? We're still in the not yet. Scripture teaches us two things, that everything God does, we can know for sure that he does for his most glory and our greatest good. We know that from his character, from who he is, what scripture reveals about his character, how he worked out and engaged with people from Genesis to Revelation, teaches us that everything God does will bring him the most glory and us the most good. Now, even in the not yet, that is true. Even in the not yet, it is true that is ultimately, even if we can't see it, we might not see it for days, months, decades, even in our own lifetime, we know it will bring God the most glory. And we know it's ultimately the best for his people. And we trust him. Like the psalmist, my God and my king. Finally, notice how in verses 7 to 8 and then the last few verses we learn this, that God is not just present with us and he's not just a champion for what is right and just, but that he is ministering to us in our groanings. The language of verses 7 and 8 and 11 and 12 must be read. I love, I love how 7 starts, right? After the psalmist declares that evil will not stand, even though that, the psalmist is dealing with it, here's the psalmist's response. But I, in the midst of the not yet, but I, 
through the abundance of your steadfast love. Hard to see it in the English, but that word steadfast love is word of covenant faithfulness. That's using that word covenant that God has committed to us. And the psalmist is praying, I know my God has committed to me. And I am not the king, he is. So I will trust him in the not yet. So that verse seven is a bold prayer. It's fitting for a rainy day. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. The psalmist is saying, I will trust in you. I don't know how, and I don't know when that not yet will go away but I know the who, and I trust you. Even if God's answer is not yet, we know that he is available to us. We can pursue him. We can cry out with the psalmist a prayer of lament. Even if God's answer is not yet, we know that God will guide us into righteousness. Look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord. Sustain me. Direct me in the midst of the not yet. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. He will aid us in this struggle by the gift of the Holy Spirit who ministers to us. And finally and ultimately, even if God's answer is not yet, we can know that God will comfort us with his blessing. Look at the end of our text today. This is the prayer the psalmist raises for us as well, not just for himself. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. That's us. Let them ever sing for joy. And the psalmist prays, and Lord, spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Let let me end just with a couple thoughts on the application of this text. Here's one. It is okay for Christians to suffer. It's not abnormal. It's not an exception. In fact, Christ called us to a life of suffering. As Casey taught us in our growth hour this morning. It's okay for Christians to have feelings of anger and frustration in the midst of the not yet. Confusion even. You are human. God made you in a way that you will experience all the brokenness of this world, and God is fully aware of that. Any version of Christianity that denies our finitude and our brokenness and our absolute reliance on God is not a version of Christianity that matches Scripture. A second truth would be that while God cannot be blamed for the broken world and our broken condition, God cannot sin. We, we, we believe what Scripture says. He wants you to place your burdens on Him. God wants you. This psalm was written to remind you, maybe this day for the first time, that your situation is not alien to God nor outside his care and ministry. Finally, ultimately, this text, and especially in the context of the whole Bible, would teach us this. God is not your genie. 
He's not your cosmic butler and divine therapist. He's something better. He's your father. You can talk to him. You can lean on him. And you can know for certain from this text and many more that he cares for you. Now what's beautiful is that, that statement in verse 7, that, that word translated steadfast love is covenant language. And just literally in a few minutes before we're done with our service today, we are doing a covenant ceremony to remind ourselves of our commitment and God's commitment to us through the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to pray now as we get ready to transition and move in that direction, but would you just bow your heads for a moment before I pray? And whatever, whatever thing you experienced as you listened to Psalm 5, whatever, whatever burden that you had come to mind as I laid out the realities of our broken world, broken bodies, and broken relationships, if any of those struck a chord with you, or if you're able to be honest this morning with your broken condition and broken world, would you just take a moment to speak to your Father and maybe even use the psalmist's language that he would consider your groaning in this moment? Talk to your Father, and in a moment, I will pray. Father, even in the not yet, Maybe it's not something everyone experiences today, but I, I pray for those who have come in here today and they feel the angst of the not yet. And they are broken and they are scared and they are angry. And in their finitude, they are reaching out to you, Father. I pray like the psalmist and with the psalmist that you would hear their cries and consider their groaning. And even, Father, that you would empower them by your Spirit in the way that you and your providence will minister to them. Would you cover them with your shield? Would you be a refuge for them? And, Father, thank you that your steadfast love includes us. And help us now as we move toward the Lord's Supper to realize that even that ceremony is acknowledging that to us you are our King and our God. And we can trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.